It's a good message and song, isn't it? Turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 8, please. Judges chapter 8. We're going to be reading in verses 4 through 21. Judges chapter 8. What a blessing it is to see the transformation that God is doing in Gideon's life. And that he wants to do that in your life and in mine as well. We were talking a little bit this morning of, uh, we're going through first few verses of Acts chapter 1 and just what God was doing in the life of the church and in those fishermen and, you know, and it's amazing to me, so often we think of the people that uh, were saved while they were in such great sin of, you know, alcoholism and gambling and cheating and stealing and, you know, all kinds of drugs, you know, but here's the thing. That's only one portion of certain people. What about people that, kids that say grow up in church? Or people that grow up in church and then maybe don't make a a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, they're still, they're not too awful yet, but they're not, they're not saved. So I've likened that unto like somebody that is, uh, you know, moral, religious, but lost. So there's, there's many, I guess you, you could divide those up. And, you know, we look at, um, you know, that first group, the people that, you know, were saved from the uttermost, right? You know, from the guttermost to the uttermost. Jesus will save those. Yes. But oftentimes those people, when they come in the doors, it's just a miracle of God that they've come that far. Yeah. But what about those that are in church all the time, are faithful? And those, they're still not saved, but they need to be saved. And yet, they don't do the certain things. They don't go certain places. God still needs to transform them as well. See, I was, I was that first group where I never darkened the doors of a church, not even for funerals. First time I went to church, I was 16 years old. And it was alien to me. I didn't know what I was. I asked my grand, Graham, what am I? And she says, you're Protestant. I didn't even know what that meant. That's what she told me. Well, granted, you know, my grandma and her people came over on the boat uh, from Germany. So they're they're Protestants. Uh, They were Lutheran in background. Lutheranism. So I was that first group. But what, what about you? See, God changed me from that. But God needs to change you. Even if you've never gone off into the world and done what the world says and does. No one ever had to tell you or teach you how to lie, cheat, or steal. We come pre-installed. Our sin nature knows how to do those things. So regardless of where your background is, you know, God still needs to transform you by his salvation and then mold you and make you to be more like him. And that is basically the thrust that we see in Gideon's life. Is God working in a usable person. Now, Gideon's not perfect. He's not going to end well. And we'll get there someday. Hmm. But from Gideon being in the backside of the wine press, buried in obscurity, kind of fussing, and there were some things in his heart that God needed to work on, his faith was broken. Now we find a man, and it was we looked at specifically last week and how that... Uh, God knew Gideon's heart. God knew that Gideon just needed one more 
faith increase, if you will. And so that uh, in verse 9 of chapter 7, it says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Gideon, Arise, get thee down to the host, for I have delivered it into thy hand. But if thou fear to go down. See, God knew Gideon's heart, but he did fear. But I like how in verse 11, God was confident. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened. And sure enough, Gideon and Phura go down. And they hear the dream that was dreamed. There was already a fear of God and of Gideon already in the hearts of uh, the enemy. And so uh, it just so happened that at the time where Gideon and Phura went down, these people were talking. And it was just what Gideon needed. Verse 15 says, And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped. He worshipped on the spot. May you and I do that, that we worship where, you know, sometimes we just praise God, you know, in the moment. It's like, wow. You know, I was talking, somebody said this uh, uh, this morning, and we're just, I praise God many times for what, it was one particular situation. And it was a small thing, you know, kind of like a small, you know, like your coin being lost or your wallet being lost, but it was found. Amen. And praise the Lord, right? Amen. And it's just like, wow, God is so good like that. He takes care of us like that. So Gideon worshipped right on the spot, right in the, the edge, in the, the midst of the camp, if you will, of the enemy. And it says that, in the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and says, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So he was confident, God, what he said he will do. How about you? You know, the faith of Gideon is increasing. Is your faith increasing? Or is it kind of just meh there? To just exist isn't good enough. Because we don't just maintain. We either go forward or we retreat. We decrease. So this brings us to uh, the, the next part of the passage where we, we looked at and how that... Um, uh, there was a great fear in the camp. They begin to, Midian begin to slew or uh, slay each other. And uh, now the camp goes from 135,000 between there. And then in 24 and 25 of chapter 7, where Ephraim gets involved. And now, you know, everyone's chasing Midian. They're going to get down to 15,000. Who did that? God did that. By a tactic and a strategy that no one would have thought. See, only God can do that. So, so what do you need? Did the, for example, before, and this is all for free before we start today. Sometimes the Lord keeps us up at night or wakes us up. And you can't go back to sleep. You know, do you go to the Lord in prayer and just say, Lord, is there somebody you need me to pray for? You know, sometimes we just get woken up and just... You know, it can get kind of frustrating. But wait a second, maybe God's trying to do something in us. You know, and it, I just know that it makes, it brings peace and comfort to me. Uh, or maybe, you know, there's, you ever just wake up and you kind of have this fear? Well, I find that, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So I, when I pray and ask that spirit to go away in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting? I get sleepy all of a sudden and go back to sleep. 
It's like the enemy doesn't, okay, all right, just stop it now, all right? Yeah, and it's like it doesn't last very long. But you know what, though, if you dwell on something, what I'm just trying to encourage you with is faith is a muscle that must be exercised. It has to be used. It has to be uh, applied or it just disappears. And, you know, it's just the way it is. So Gideon is, he's increasing in faith. And so now we're going to find him in chapter 8, where he's still with the 300 that had went down into the camp and chased. And, and, and so now he's chasing after Midian. He didn't link up with a, a bunch of other people. He didn't, you know, he just, nope. God promised with these 300, me and these 300, we're going to chase. So if one chases a thousand, the Bible says, they're going to chase 15,000. It's amazing to me that what faith does, when you become confident in what God says, God is, he'll do the impossible. You'll expect him to do it. So in verse 4, we pick up the, uh, the narrative now. So he's chasing after Midian, and, and this is chapter 8, verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan, passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Sukkoth, I give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we, would, we should give bread unto thine army? There's almost kind of like a snide and sneering tone almost, right? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into thine hand, I'm sorry, into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Oh my, you can tell we're still in the book of Judges. And he went up thence to Penuel and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east. For there fell 120,000 men that drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Nobah in Jogabah and smote the host, for the host was secure. How many? 300 against 15,000. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all the host. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up and caught a young man of the men of Sukkoth and inquired of him and he described unto him the princes of Sukkoth and the elders thereof even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine men that were, are weary? And he took the elders of the city in thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Sukkoth. He beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. Then said he and the Zeba and Zalmunna, What manner of men were they whom ye slew of Tabor? And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, 
If ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jether his firstborn, Up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. Then Ziba and Zalmunna says, Rise thou and fall upon us. For as a man is, so is his strength. Gideon arose and slew Ziba and Zalmunna and took away the ornaments that were on their camel's necks. So, I want you to see four things through this passage quickly. First of all, Gideon and his men running after the enemy. That's what faith does. You don't run from, you run after. And then second, his request for help from the cities of Sukkoth and Penuel. Third, we'll look at Sukkoth and Penuel's rationalizing, not giving their help. Then fourth and last, we'll notice the result of not helping. And when we don't help, what is that? We become a hindrance. And that's the title of the message this morning is, Are you a help or are you a hindrance? Let's pray. Father of God, we praise you for this passage of Scripture. Spirit of God, would you calm our hearts and protect this place. And Father, I just pray that you would speak to hearts about salvation, about serving you. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to uh, serve you and desire you and love you. Father, I just pray that we would be like Gideon and be just 100% trusting day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, in verse 4, notice it says here in chapter 8, verse 4, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, and he and the 300 men that were with him faint, yet pursuing them. So we find Gideon running after the enemy. So you would think that, hey, this is kind of a harrowing experience. They're not sleeping very much. They don't have time to stop and, and uh, take food. I, I, I think they only had so much rations with them. So uh, they, they ran out of their rations. And it's, uh, it takes a lot of energy in combat. Now, if you've ever been in a, you know, a stressful situation, you know what happens fast? You get hungry, right? You work hard. You know, you're just like, man, I could eat a horse. Well, uh, I've been in a combat environment, and especially when it's hot, stressful, what happens is your body burns through so much more calories. And they say that, you know, an adult needs about 2,000 calories a day. Well, that's a little too much, but, you know, uh, so... Let's call it 2,000 calorie. But on a combat diet, you need about 6,000 calories in a day. And what the, the army gives you is MREs, meals ready to eat. And um, they would give them to us, and it was like, you know, fine dining at its highest. Now, I, uh, I know this, but I know K rations from World War II. Like literally, mm. there were rations, but mm. but what's sad is the World Wars, they were only good. I think they had a shelf life of about five years. Do you know what the military did? They fed them to the Vietnam vets that were left over from World War II and Korea. They kept them. So let's just say... They were 
it was very fine dining in the jungles of Vietnam for a long time until they used up all those rations and then used or bought new ones. The thing is, is you get a bag and there's, you eat everything in that bag is 3,000 calories. And you eat two of those a day. Man, I knew guys that were eating four and five. And they were like, man, I'm starving all the time. And I'm just thinking, man, Jenny Craig is going to have a heart attack. <laughs> uh, that's 15,000 calories in a day. Well, yeah, where we were, at times it was over 120 degrees. So that's what, 40-something Celsius? Nuts. And, and humid. Lovely. At night, it would get down to, uh, I don't know, 10, 8, 10. So it, big fluctuation. And you were always moving. So these men were faint yet pursuing. So I like the idea of how that Gideon is 300. They're not afraid. They're peculiar, but they're chasing after the enemy. So this begs the question, to what extent will you follow God's promises? He has said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He has said that it hasn't entered into the heart of man what God has in store for them that love him. Pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus can be summed up like this. Imagine you are driving down the road and it's near sunset and you're driving it west. So the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So I'm driving home on Thursday night from Shelburne from preaching there. And you know that light bulb, the orb in the sky is right in my eyeball. Like... Because you're coming home on the 103, and it's right there. But it's interesting, the way that it, it, it was only a few fingers above the horizon, four or five fingers, and you begin to get uh, where the, the road has kind of like the mirages, where it kind of looks like mirrored and silvery, and where it kind of hazy, and it's just like, you know, your eyeballs do weird things. And I was more concerned about uh, uh, deer, right, at that time, because during sunrise and sunset is when animals do most of their moving. So what do, but what do you do? You just, and I just found myself just going towards the sun. And it got me thinking, and the Lord just kind of, you know, brought that to mind is press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That in our Christian life, we should go towards the S.L. wind. Right? Yes, you know, like, I was driving towards the S-U-M. But in our life, if we're going toward and we're pressing toward the S-O-N, the Son of God, you know, it doesn't matter. And everything else just kind of fades into the distance. And it's just, you know, I, I didn't, I'm like, why am I worried? Why am I being anxious? Just trust the Lord. He'll either protect me. And if, you know what, and if he allows something to happen, then he allows something to happen. That then it's good for me, right? Do you see what faith does? Faith causes the noise of this world to just kind of drown out and you just go on, right? So faint yet pursuing. You know, it just reminded me of the, the two instances in the New Testament where God promises or, or encourages us to not be weary in well-doing. 
Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Keep your finger or your wife's finger in Judges. We'll come back there. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So there's a due season. There's a, a time to sow and there's a time to reap. So just keep, excuse me, just keep going. Keep trusting the Lord. No matter, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what your bank account says, regardless of what everyone else is doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. But if you faint, what happens? Well, it's like, okay, have you ever fainted before? It, it, it's embarrassing. That happened last week, too. <laughs> I almost fainted just now again. It frightened me last week, too. Man. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'll start breathing again. Whew. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But to faint, it's embarrassing. And it, it, fainting can happen for any number of reasons. It can happen because, uh, you know, maybe our blood sugar's low or maybe our blood pressure can be a little wonky or, you know, just, or what happens also is you lock your knees. If you're standing in one spot for too long and your knees are locked, what'll happen is, is you stop the blood flow. Blood starts pulling in your body. And you know what happens? Your body goes, eh, time out, boom. Seen it. And uh, what you do is you just kind of, you know, if you find yourself standing often, you know, for a long time, just, you know, bend your knees a little bit, and then, or just kind of work up on your the balls of your feet, on your heels. I'm sorry, on your tiptoes a little bit. This is what we used to do while we're standing in attention for a long period of time. You just kind of, you got to move. If you're not, if you don't, you will. people start doing this. <laughs> that we call that you're out on your feet. Yeah. They're out. They're they're available. They've already fainted. They're just on the way out. And what'll happen is the person next to you just push them down because you don't want them to go over. Especially if you're inside. Uh, one time that happened. I was in a. Uh, hardened aircraft shelter, it's called a HAS, H-A-S. It's uh, to keep uh, uh, planes protected so that from bombardment. So uh, it was a, some type of military ceremony. And uh, the person next to me, she started swaying. So you just pushed her down because what if she'd have fallen or bumped her head on concrete? Yeah. Ooh, I hate that sound. Yeah. <laughs> right? That sound is, ooh. Yeah, man. Like, there were two kids running around here once. One was mine, and the other one wasn't, and I don't know, but they just go, bonk. Uh, you know two heads honking together. Yeah. It's like, oh. First thing, first thing out of my mouth was, that hurt. <laughs> Noah kept trumping around this corner, and you see the in remembrance of me? You know, the communion table? Well, he's his founder. He got remembered. Because he calmed his head on the corner, he's like, Doo. <laughs> and his little 
legs went out from underneath him, and it just, and I, I heard about it because all I saw was he was a unicorn or a rhinoceros for a few days. And when he came to, he saw three birds, man. <laughs> you know, and it's just, uh, it's, these things happen in our life where just, you know, you, we're, we're, we're going and then things happen. But see, that's, what would our life be if God didn't place adversity in our life? We wouldn't seek him. We wouldn't need him. We wouldn't want him. So there's those things that he places in our life. Sometimes we're going to get knots on the head. Maybe we're going in the wrong direction. And so he brings us up short. And so, like, I, it's almost like, you know, those old cast iron pans. You know what I'm saying? Those big, oh, my Aunt Terry, she could throw down. She was not a skinny lady, and she could cook like, you know what I'm saying? And uh, she had this big old cast iron pan, and, and I just, oh. But can you imagine being hit in the head with one of those? It would leave an impression. It would leave an impression. I've been going in the wrong direction certain times spiritually, yeah. and it's as though God, in, in, in circumstances, uses a cast iron pan and just bong. And when I come to, and I'm just like the prodigal son, what am I doing here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Well, I'm on the ground, right? You know, sometimes you are like that too, but, you know, what I'm trying to say is, there's a negative side of being faint. The positive side is, hey, we're going, and then sometimes we fall. But a righteous man gets up, right? But what if we're going, and we're going in the wrong direction? Yeah. It's good for us to run out of gas, to break down to, oh, okay, am I going in the right direction? So you wake up, and it's like, uh-oh. I don't know how many times I've heard this, where somebody is going, 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 has chest pains, Heart attack situation, and it's as though God uses the circumstance to wake them up to something. Good friend of mine, mentor in the faith, uh, he's 92 now, but he says when he was 40 years old, God allowed him to have a heart attack. He was focusing so much energy, he was preaching some 17 times in a week, either in the, the Christian school, on the radio, in the church, and here, there, hither, thither, and yon. But he was not spending time with his family. He was neglecting his first work. He ended up in the hospital. He fainted. Just chest pains and he had a heart attack. And if he had kept going in the direction that he was going, he would have killed him. But yet he would have lost his family. Sometimes being, fainting is good. Because it kind of wakes us up. But in this situation where Gideon is chasing after the enemy, kind of like a dog with a bone, right? You know, they, you, say, you call a person dogged. You know, it's, someone that's, somebody who's single-minded. Um, the pit bull terrier or the pit bull breed has what's called lockjaw. And we had a dog that was a boxer, lab, mutt, mix. I think he was more pit, but he just was a big dope, right? But man, you, he had this big old rope with, you know, had knots in it or whatever. And literally, he, when he grabbed on, and he weighed about 65, 70 pounds, he never grew up. He's like the Toys R Us kid, right? You know, he's always a puppy. I could pick him up. And he's tearing at, it, 
You, he was dogged. Well, especially if somebody came on the property that he did not agree with. He was dogged. Yeah. One time the, the cops came to our house because uh, we had a fire in the backyard and, the, and our dog did not permit him on the property. Do you know what the, the cop said? Good for him. Right? He was doing his job. And so when I would go to the Czech Republic for weeks and fill in there, I knew somebody was, you know, watching out for my people. So it's good to be dogged. But you know the type of personality of somebody who's dogged. You put anything else in their way or you put anything else in the front of their mouth, what's going to happen? You're going to get bit. Yeah, because I was playing. I don't know how many times with that dog where I, you know, I'm messing around and he... he go for the rope and he'd get my hand. And he would bite down first and then realize and then he'd let go. But in the process uh, my hand got turned into meat. So just be careful. If this is your spirit is to be dogged. Don't bite other people. Gideon kind of has a spirit because the way he treats Penuel and Sukoth, he treats them like they are the enemy. Granted, they acted like the enemy, but he was very, very, very hard with them. Some people say, well, he was right to do it that way. But in a church setting, that's not the right way to do it. Right? So Gideon, in his faith, he's faint yet pursuing. So I just want to encourage you, even if you're faint, pursue God. Pursue Faith in Jesus Christ, not just at salvation, but all the time. Because if not, you're going to be what the James calls a double-minded man. Unstable as water, unstable in all his or her ways. So Gideon's dogged right now, and so, but he's hungry. He needs resupply. Well, actually, I'm sorry. We came to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice verse 13. Here's the other instance. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. So, just remember these things. It's okay to feel faint. But it's not okay to faint and stay down. You find yourself down. Ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on? Am I doing something wrong? Or am I doing it right? Can I do it better? Right? Because God can use those situations to speak to us. So, turn with me back now to Judges, since your wife's finger is still there, keeping her spot. I've done this before where I actually grabbed Rachel's finger because a preacher said that. Yeah, you guys, our wives don't really appreciate that, actually. It's funny, but don't do it. Adam, remember these things, okay? All right. Just trying to give you good counsel, man. Yeah, stuff I learned the hard way. <laughs> Preacher said to do it. Verse 5 says, in Judges 8, And he said unto the men of Sukkoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Ziba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. Look, man, we got a, there's a plan, there's a process, let's do this thing. And Sukkoth was like, uh, Eh, maybe not. 
But there's this request, and so there's nothing wrong with asking others for help, but don't get upset with them if they don't give you the help. And you know, in a church setting, you know, sometimes we need help. Many hands make light work. I asked somebody to help with um, um, whippersnipping some stuff. No big deal. We need help, right? You know, uh, Ralph asked for help to move. You know, it made it many hands make light work. It's, it's, it's good. But here's the thing. Don't get upset if people don't help. Because here, here's what I've done. I've been serving the Lord, Yosemite Salmon, right? You guys know the old cartoon character, the little short guy with the big red beard and, you know, just, but he's, he hated Bugs Bunny so bad and he was rooting to and rooting fretting. And, you know, he would have his six shooters and he'd shoot so high, he'd get so mad and he would get taller as he would shoot his guns, right? You know, but whatever he would say, I've always, I've just taken, taken with this. This is not good doctrine, if you will, but, you know, yeah, Looney Tune doctrine. Uh, be careful you don't have that attitude with others in the church. Yeah. Rootin', tootin', written, frottin'. I've been vacuum cleaning. Where ain't no one hear me but God. Fussing at other people because why aren't they here? Yes. What are, you know, don't they know that this needs to be done? You know, there was a, it was after a fellowship at, uh, my last church, and, you know, it was a mess. You know, there's certain people's kids, right? I'm just like, man, these feral children? What's wrong with their parents? You know, don't they? And then we had kids. <laughs> and then I became those parents. And so I'm just like, well, this isn't so bad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just like that. Just like, oh, I'm like, oh, this ain't. So their kids became tame and lame compared to ours. Ours was like, you know, where they're, they cake like your chairman to a Christmas present. You know? It's like, why do kids have to do that? I don't understand. It's not rap. You just use a fork. <laughs> but here I am serving the Lord. But with what type of a spirit? Yeah. A critical and a forced spirit. Yeah. So this is Gideon's yet pursuing. So when we're tired and we're, you know, hungry and just, you know, stop and pray. Be thankful that you're serving the Lord. And you know what I find? Pray for others. When you have that spirit that way, and some you're going to fuss on them, maybe it's a specific person that you're fussing about. They're just getting under your fingernails. Pray for them. Do you know it's hard to be upset at somebody you pray for? And I'm not talking about Lord slash their tires praying, okay? I prayed for you. No, that's not the type of praying I'm talking about, right? You know, it's like, ugh, you prayed for me. Gee, thanks. <laughs> you know, but no, uh, I'm talking pray, you know, like God work in their life. That's the time, and it's good for us. Because this is the time of judges, and it's a brutal time in Israel's history, isn't it? It's vicious. So just because Gideon's a part of this time, I don't think that it's a good excuse the way that he's going to respond. Just like David, when Nabal, uh, Nabal right, the churlish one, uh, I get Nabal and Naboth, 
sometimes confused, so love me. Um, but David protected Nabal's men, uh, his herdmen, and then wanted a, a blessing as a result. You know, just, hey, look, I did this for you. And Nabal says, who's David? And while David rolls up his sleeves and he was going to roll into town and kill everybody. And here comes Abigail and says, you know, not so, Lord. You know, just she came out in a sweet spirit and, and the Lord blessed and stopped David from doing something foolish. And he came to realize this. Well, Gideon is going to follow his word. This spirit doesn't belong in a church. It's good to be dogged, but not overbearing and mean and critical. So you see the request? You know, a, we, we need help. But notice the rationalizing, verse 6 of chapter 8. It says, And the princes of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in thy hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Penuel is going to say the same thing to him. So this request, I want you to see two aspects of this as uh, the, their duty and their discouragement. Notice their duty. Gideon and his men are fully committed to their duty, whereas the folks of Sukkoth are waiting to commit when the battle is over. Hey, when everything's already done, when all the, the bloodletting is already spilt, we want as much of the glory and we want to be involved with it as much. Well, no, I'm sorry. You didn't have no part nor lot in this matter. So, hey, if you want blessings of God, you got to get involved. Yes, sir. Yep. And, and I always come back to Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, the talking about the, you know, the reasonable service of God. God, this is my reasonable service. I'll come. Now love me. I'm going to come on Sunday mornings, right? This is my reasonable service. Or as I heard a pastor once say on Easter, Merry Christmas. Why did he say that? CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. Because that's a certain lifestyle or a level that certain people, they're going to give God Christmas and Easter. Okay. Uh, that's one option. What about the rest of your life? Yeah, right. So there's, there's a reasonable service. So I just keep thinking about uh, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about Jesus who, uh, you know, consider Christ, the Bible says. Consider him that endured the cross, despised the shame. So we should run that race, shouldn't we? I mean, it's only reasonable. So what's this reasonable that we should, you know, is it, is it Sunday morning only? Is it Sunday morning, Sunday night and maybe Wednesday? Is it maybe King's Kids? What I'm just saying is that if you hold back from God, which is, this is, I'm pre-preaching the message tonight, uh, finances, um, but if you hold back from God in certain areas of your life, that'll bleed over to other areas. Right. Church attendance is just a symptom of a larger issue. If you choose to not be involved in the services of... Look, you're coming to worship God. And, I mean, what else are you going to do? 
What else? I mean, what's more important? What it just shows where your and my reasonable servant, and it moves, doesn't it? What we feel like. You know, as a pastor, it's good for I have to come to church if I'm sick. You know why? You know why? Because I'd find ways to not be here. That's just that's the flesh. It's your flesh too. You know, if you're prone to migraines, you're prone to allergies. Allergies this year are nuts, aren't they? I don't struggle with allergies, but I know some of you do. Now here comes a sneeze, probably. Is your nose itching? You know. What I'm just trying to encourage you with is just be a part of it. These. People in Sukkoth and Penuel, they didn't want to be a part of it. There was a, their concern was the fact that the victory is not fully won. Are you kidding me? I did the math. Now, don't trust my math. You know better. But 11% is left. 15,000 is 11% of 135,000. Wow, huh? There's 11% remaining, and they still weren't willing to get committed to come out of their walls, to just even, look, Gideon wasn't even asking for their swords and the right arms. You know what he wanted? He wanted food. And there was an opportunity to serve. Ah. Ezebel and Zalmona, are they, are they already dead? Are they in your custody? So there's an excuse here, and so... They're not, gonna, they're not willing to, you know, it's kind of like this. Uh, I just came up with something random here. What are they waiting for? The second Tuesday of the month that falls on a full moon? Or maybe their sprained eyelash, maybe waiting for it to heal. Oh, come on, your excuse is going to be any, any better, right? Yeah. You know, I'm sure I'd love to hear stories from Mrs. Kelly about why those high school kids don't have their homework done. I'm sure they're different than when we were kids, right? Nope. It's all the same stuff. Or nowadays, it's probably someone on Facebook in Russia stole my homework. <laughs> I don't know, right? You know, some hacker got in. You're right. I don't know, but, you know, aliens or zo zombies, maybe, yeah. That's the big deal now. Blah. But excuses. What's your excuse for not serving God? Is it because something somebody did to you somewhere along the line? You don't trust. You know, I had somebody call me recently and said, hey, I, I want to talk to you about a certain circumstance. I was like, uh-uh. I'm not your pastor. They go to another church. I'm like, mm-mm. I'm not your pastor, and the person you want to talk about, I'm not going to talk about them because I'm not their pastor either, and they are not present. But you know what the person said? Well, I've lost a lot of trust in leadership. And I'm just like, hmm. Sounds like you've lost trust in Jesus Christ. Because the arm of flesh will fail you. You know, men, women... We're men or women at best. That's all we are. Without Christ, people will fail you from time to time. Don't put your faith and trust in me because, you know, I'm fallible. And don't ask Rachel how I really am. She'll tell you the truth. 
It's painful <laughs> to hear the truth. But Jesus Christ will never fail you. So what's your excuse? That person's excuse is somebody let them down. So now they're not in church. Okay. So how long will that excuse be good enough? Well, I don't have enough time. I need to do this and that. You know, sometimes we have boxes, right? We give God so much and we need so much. And just be careful with that. Because if you only give God so much, you are missing out on so much. We're missing out on so much. If we only give God a tiny portion. God, here comes, it just, here's just a little bit of me. These people are missing out on the blessing. And for the sake of time, we won't go there. But in 3 John, uh, the situation is this. The Apostle John is writing to the church uh, there. The, the specific church is not named, but it's a specific church. And in how that um, there is a group of people that have come through or that uh, are ministering to the Gentiles. And so it says there that in verses 5 through 10 about how that... There's a group, uh, call it a, a ministry, um, you know, specific ministry, you know, Ron Osteen Ministries. You know, there's a group of people coming through. We didn't want to be a burden to the Gentiles. So they didn't want money or food from them. They just wanted to go and preach, but they needed food, lodging, and other incidentals. So wouldn't that be a blessing? The church would help them. Well, then there was a man by the name of Diotrephes. He wanted the preeminence, and he opposed that ministry and said, No, you can't come in, and we're not helping you. Wow. Do you know what that passage kind of tells us? That, you know what, if we can, we should help those in the ministry. Amen. Those that are kind of, you know, preaching the gospel or, or singing or, or doing things for... For others, for the furtherance of the gospel, we, if we can help, help. Because it's good for us and it's good for them. That's our job. I think of the Shunammite woman who, you know, the uh, prophet Elisha would go by and be like, hey, just why don't you come in and I'll build a room for you. And you know what, you can come in whenever you're by. You know what, Elisha liked that. He liked it. So whenever he would go by, he would turn into their house. What a blessing. You know, it's interesting. Look up in Scripture at any time where the ark of God dwelt in somebody's house. They prospered. Everything in their house, whether it's beast, uh, you know, the flocks increase, or the, you know, the babies are being born like crazy, and just maybe everything's increasing. There was one specific man, his name was Obed-Edom, where they needed a place for the ark of God, and so they just turned in there. He was ready and willing, and he was blessed. It's a good, it's a good study where the ark is. So what I'm trying to get across is, is your house, is your life a place ready and usable for God to work? Hey, you know, this... There's a need. And like what well, we're talking about Sunday nights financially, might cost you a little bit. Having somebody over for a meal cost, might you know, cost you 20, 30 bucks. You know? 
Hey, I'll, I, I got some money set aside. I'll use that. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Just being ready and usable to God. But these men in Sukkoth and Penuel said, eh, no. The victory's not fully won yet. So, no thanks. Gideon didn't respond well. His initial response to Sukkoth was um, in verse 7. So this brings us to the result. There's verse 7. Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand. I like Gideon now. What's his faith? Is he kind of, ah, if. Did he say if? Therefore, what's that next word? Okay, in verse 7 of chapter 8. And Gideon said, therefore, when. Not if. When. He's going to take 300 and chase 15,000. It's not an if, it's a when. I like his faith. That's a good faith. Why? Because God said it. That settles it. That's what happens. Faith increases. You know, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. No, but it's not some secret formula. There's not some, you know, secret process. You know what happens? It's circumstances and trials. God shows himself faithful and we'll be like, wow. God said he would do it, and he did it. And it's time and again, and you just trust him more and more. That's how our faith is increased. And it's a choice in the process. You know, and it's the molding. <laughs> Gideon's so just sold out for God now, if, you, if I can say it that way. His faith is just, when this is going to happen, ah, this is tough, though. When the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zamuda into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and the briars. And he ends up doing that. And, uh, yeah, that's, um, yikes. So, down to 15, it says, And he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, with whom ye did abrade me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand? And he took the elders of the city, and there's 77 of them, wasn't there? And he taught the men of Sukkoth, that's 16, taught them. I don't know if he beat them with briars and thorns or rolled them in it or what. All I know is, yikes. And the men of Penuel in 17, and they beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. Okay, let's just slow down, Gideon. Okay, you know, remember I told you he was dogged? So then he saw, he couldn't tell the difference between who the enemy was. Anybody who got in front of him and opposed him, he was going to run over. So, hey, it's a good thing to serve the Lord, but let's not do it like we're steamrolling. Okay? I was watching or driving by, a, uh, I think it was on Hebron, uh, and uh, they were doing some work, and... Uh, no, it was on Main Street. That's what it was. <laughs> right by RBC and the, the library in that area. And there was one guy with a little roller. I mean, a handheld roller. You know, there's the steamrollers. You know, the big guys, right? You know? No, there was a little handheld one. And there was five people standing around watching him. And then one guy sweating buckets. And the other guys are like, you know, holding their shovels. They're like, Stare pointing. I mean, they were pointing. I think one guy was. 
You know, it's just like, wow, they're just watching. That's great. You know, one guy was really zealous. We like to watch the person that's that's has a heart to work, you know? But let's treat each other with respect and with a sweet spirit is what I just want to try and, and, and encourage you. And then to be like in verse 11, and with this we'll close. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Nobah and Jogabah and smote the host, for the host was secure. So he was trying to get help from Sukkoth and Peniel from cities. But he decided, ah, I'm going to go by those that dwell in tents. You know, it just kind of made me think, is there a different attitude? Kind of like country folk, right? You know, you go to the city, even Halifax, but man, you go to Toronto, ain't nobody got no time for nothing. I mean, the speed limit's 100, and they're driving 200, right? And it's like, what do I do? It's almost dangerous to not drive 200 because everyone else is. But there's no time. There's just a certain attitude in a big city. But the country folk, you know what we do? We'll stop and talk. You see people, man, I saw three cars, two or three cars, I can't remember now. I don't want to make stuff up, but someone had a flat tire and there were people all around them. There was like three people watching two people change a tire. I'd never seen that before. <laughs> Normally it's just like, well, praying for you. Driving by, right? Well, honk if you love Jesus. You know? No, man, country folk, they'll stop and they'll help. So, what type of spirit are you? What type of spirit is our church? You know, it's good to be a country church, but not so much just that we're 100% hokey and just thrown together and just haphazard and woo. No, we have to have some decorum. Because this is, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I find in a country church is this. It's not about pretense. It's not about how you dress and what car you drive and, you know, what for and what not. It's more about loving the Lord and each other. And that's why Gideon did it this way. He made a very long march. He could have found help in the short distance, but they didn't want to help him. So what are you like? Are you like those that dwell in tents? There's a group of people called the Rechabites. That's a good study. Look them up. For hundreds of years, they were told not to dwell in a city, not to drink wine, and they were not to do a few other things. You know what? While Israel was off doing whatever, here's this group of people, this family, still obeying what their patriarch hundreds of years ago had told them. And they became a great example to Israel. Where the prophet of God said, look at them. What an example. They love me and follow me. So what are you like? Are you like the people of Sukkoth and Penuel? Or are you like those that dwell in tents? Because here's the thing. Remember the title of the message? Are you a help or are you a hindrance? Because in a church, we can be one or the other, sometimes both at the same time. 
So would you stand with me? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Although Gideon's faith was increased, the control of his spirit, mm, he still had some things to learn. I'm glad we don't dwell in the time of judges, but it seems like we're really getting there. Everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. And the thoughts and intents of man's heart is only evil continually. Genesis 6 tells us during the time of Noah and the flood. So let's serve the Lord, but let's do it in a proper way. Remember the service tonight at 6 o'clock. Also this afternoon at 2.30 is uh, Meadows Nursing Home Service. So uh, if you're available to go, that'd be a blessing if you do that. So greet one another and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Brother Dave Fevens, would you pray for us, please? Thank you.